0: Good morning, and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hi, everyone. This is Shimon uh, Shkuri with Ariel Property Advisors on our podcast called Coffee and Cap Rates. And today, I have my partner, Victor Sozio, with me together with our senior director, Matt Swordlow, all of us are going to speak about the third quarter of the multifamily market and try to give you some anecdotal information of what we're seeing. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. How
1: are you, Shimon? Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you,
0: guys. Um, I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, The the, uh, third quarter of multifamily transactions in New York City has been very different than the second. We saw only $1.55 billion, um, very different than the close to $4 billion we've seen in the second quarter. Uh, And and something that I can personally say, I didn't expect, I just expected to see a higher volume at the end of the year. I believe this is something uh, I said earlier in the year, and it surprised me. Now, it shouldn't, right? What are the reasons, Vic, for the lower Volume of transactions as we see it today. What insight can you provide us here?
2: Well, I think if we go back to the beginning of the year, the first quarter, I don't know if we expected rates to get as high as they have um, gotten recently. And I don't think that uh, we expected them to, or the expectations around them remaining elevated for so long were what they are now. And I think that's really played into why you've seen volume drop from uh, the third quarter or from the second quarter to the third quarter. Like you said, it's about a billion and a half uh, down from about 3 billion in the second quarter, which in fairness, we did have some large transactions in the second quarter that juiced those numbers, but still a billion and a half is less than the two to 3 billion average in a typical market. Um, And I do think a large part of that does stem from the rates it does stem from the continued volatility in our markets and global volatility. And it's really making transactions hard to uh, happen, right? It's uh, you're looking at a 7% cap rate all of a sudden, not being really a great deal, not having much cash flow when you're financing in the uh, in the high sixes or low sevens. Um, so I don't know if we will see the typical type of volume until things become a little bit more stable um, when you dive deeper into the numbers uh, in that billion and a half a large portion of it the lion's share of it about a billion and a quarter come from manhattan and brooklyn and a, a large portion of those tend to be free market or 421a um, buildings that are, are operating at or, or close to market it's the outer boroughs like bronx and queens that are suffering much lower volume, less than a hundred million in the third quarter. And I think a lot, a lot of that could be tied to the fact that a lot of those buildings are rent stabilized. And when you're a rent stabilized asset and you have rates as high as they are right now, it makes it that much more difficult to transact on.
0: Right, I mean, you touched it, on it perfectly. The free market world is doing extremely well. Uh, last quarter, we've seen affordable housing trade really, really well, and as you know, uh, we're you know as, as we all know, when we have an affordable housing portfolio of buildings, uh, the, the, the amount of action that we're getting is extremely high. Um, and the rent stabilized is the one that suffers the most because of legislation regulation as well as the sensitivity to interest rate because on, on rent stabilized we can't really increase rents as much. But since we touched on interest rates, Matt, what do you see today? When you're trying to finance buildings, where are interest rates today and where were they earlier in the year? Because I think there's a major difference that the listeners here, um, like Zig said, would want to would hear about.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Shimon, it's been a crazy year. I mean, we started the year talking about fives and sixes. Um, my best rate today at the time of recording is about six and a half, but very quickly when we push and pull on a couple of levers like DSCR, uh, leverage, interest only and prepayment penalty, but more, more, more importantly, size, we could easily creep up into the mid to high sevens very quickly for multifamily. The more commercially focused your property is, retail office or hospitality, uh, the deeper into the those sevens, if not the eighth, you get. So we're definitely talking uh, a, 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 an interest rate environment where we can use the the, the term uh, mid to high single digits for interest rates very thoroughly. That's where we are. And like I said, we started the year um, in, a, in a higher place than we were for the rest of the cycle, um, but we would all love to be back there today looking backwards.
0: That's amazing. So about 75 bits or so, more or less uh, higher compared to uh the beginning of the year that's a big big difference and and so there are deals that are being made and and we know that because we transact in them we just put a bunch of deals into contact Vic what is actually happening what is trading and um what have you seen in the past quarter and moving forward in terms of trades that you expect to happen at least by the end of the year
2: well in the third quarter we did close on some multifamily properties throughout the city. And and I do think it gives you a decent snapshot of some of the product that still has some appeal. One was a 421A building in Northern Manhattan, um, which was built in 2017, uh, more of the older 421A and 8020 deal. Then there was another affordable housing deal in the Bronx, a tax class 2A building in Brooklyn. And, you know, these still have some appeal, although they're not, easy to, you know, I don't think anything is easy to transact on um, today, but what we also saw happening in the third quarter was there was a lot of hope um, and anticipation for the Supreme Court taking on Chip's case to challenge some of the HSDPA legislation in 2019. And when that didn't happen and it wasn't taken by the Supreme Court, I do think that we experienced a wave of contract signings on rent stabilized multifamily and i think a lot of it had to do with you know okay now we know the supreme court's not taking the case although there's still some other cases that they might take on the session but you know couple that with the fact that interest rates got higher and the expectations are that they will remain higher for longer than expected that resulted in a lot of owners essentially capitulating and saying you know what what is my what are my next two years going to look like? I'm at negative cash flow right now. What am I doing here? And a lot of them just basically became a lot more realistic, and were able to transact, or at least go into contract to transact by the end of the year. So I, I do think that played um, a part in it. Uh, also, you know, we are in the midst of uh, the signature note sale process happening at the time of this recording, and probably coming to a bid in the next week or two. And I do feel that a lot of market participants ha- are, are looking at that process as a barometer uh, on where we are in the market. I think that includes lenders as well. And I do think that's playing into what's happening right now and the dynamics. So it'll be interesting to see how that ends up and, you know, what the next, I guess, <laughs> steps are after that's sold to, to somebody and if that's going to result in, you know, what we're starting to see now is, is, work out discussions or at least the early stages of discussions between borrowers and lenders and and a lot of them are trying to be pragmatic at least the borrowers are proposing what they think are pragmatic solutions in cases of of high leverage and maturing debt so i I think that you know we still see free market have has an appeal affordable housing appeal rent stabilized has to be Priced very well and realistic in order to transact today, but it is still possible, and you know now we're in the beginning I think early stages of a wave of workouts uh, with existing lenders
0: right very very good thank you and that that's that's so interesting uh, because we're talking about the legislative environment and the fact that uh, sellers are becoming a lot more motivated today, they expect rate to be there higher for longer, and the legislative or the legislation to um, to keep to be more permanent than they expected before, uh, with the hopes that things will change as the incentives, as we know, between um, putting money into buildings and the city are not aligned. I mean, there's no incentive today in putting money into rent-stabilized buildings. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you guys is is about the unrest that we have in the Middle East and unrest, that, you know, the geopolitical unrest in general. How do you think, I mean, Vic, you touched on it before, and you said, you know, this this is when people are staying, um, you know, cautious about investing. But what do you think about that in terms of investing in New York City specifically today when there's a lot of unrest in the world? That's,
1: yeah, you know, it's it's it horrible what's going on, but I could say anecdotally from what we've seen on our transactions is that our international high net worth clients are looking at New York multifamily as the safe haven asset, um, whether they're taking leverage or buying an asset all cash. Uh, it's definitely a trend that we're seeing where these investors would normally be holding their uh, liquidity either in cash or sovereign debt. Um, And now that we might have a a clash of nations in the Middle East, um, they're looking for places that have uh, less volatility. Uh, New York multifamily has standed the test of time over and over and over again. Um, And we're starting to see those transactions come from new entrants um, and especially those entrants that are coming from um, the Middle East or Europe.
0: Yeah, and and so you're right, and we have we have some clients that are continuing uh, to move forward and to buy here, uh, specifically uh, throughout all the challenges that we have uh, today in different places in the world. Let's try to wrap it up and try to talk about what we can or might see moving forward this year, but also in 2024. Um, they, you wanna you wanna try to predict where we're going
2: to be next year. Oh, I don't know. I mean, predictions uh, are tough to make for the past five years, it seems like in, in our market. Uh, I'll tell you what I am eagerly awaiting in, in 2024, In the beginning of 2024 is, you know, the start of the legislative session. And I, I don't think, you know, we might not get any real clarity until the beginning of the second quarter, but I am interested to see if there's going to be any meaningful legislation uh, passed in 2024, you know, something that um, the legislature failed to do in, in the session of 2023. I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, or 21 a could be addressed both, you know, for a successor, um, to what we had before, but also to extend, um, the sunset provision for the ones that are in process. And I know that doesn't really, um, pertain to the existing multifamily market, but I think that's going to be super meaningful, um, for our market in general. I think that, you know, we touched on it. I I do think the next 12 to 18 months uh, and what happens is going to have a lot to do with the existing lenders. I think in many ways, property owners have already um, come to grips or realized their pain and losing all of their existing equity or value equity value in, in these deals. And I think that, you know, we're in the early innings of the lenders. Um, figuring that out or, or realizing that and, and what I hope is uh, and what I think is that you know for lenders that are fast movers or early movers and able to kind of um, strategize or, or come to to some sort of um, strategy with workouts or you know take these uh, situations case by case and figure out something that works, I think they'll end up better than other lenders that just put their head in the sand and eventually get an asset back two years after going trials and tribulations. So I expect, you know, that to happen in the next, uh, or, you know, in 2024.
1: Matt, anything to add to that? I think that's great. I think 2024 is going to be the year that we finally see a break. Um, you know, we all track different metrics, uh, graphs and charts in the economy. One thing I've noticed as of late is that job postings in the economy has gone below the long term trend of job posting and started since the pandemic. So in other words, employers around the country are posting less jobs than they have historically. Um, The Fed's job is twofold. It's full employment and it's low inflation. Um, if we do see a break in or a rise in unemployment, um, then I do think that the Fed changes their uh, tone on on uh, on their policy by lowering uh, said funds. They have a lot of room to lower it. There's a lot of incremental 25 or 50 BIP uh, decreases that they can do right now to encourage the economy if or when that happens. Um, but I think it's a two-sided coin Typically when recessions start, Fed funds come down and we all rejoice. Um, But amongst lenders, uh, leverage also decreases and also just overall uh, activity in lending decreases as well. So we might have cheaper rates, but I think 2024 will be a time where we we see um, different lending activity, albeit cheaper lending activity. So it'll be an interesting to see where that, uh, how next year progresses.
0: Perfect. Yeah, both of you touched on mortgage maturities in general, which I think uh, you're absolutely right about. Uh, Vic touched on the housing policy, and, and, and you both touched on the lending environment in general. Uh, that, that, is, that is challenging, and we'll probably see more private lenders also coming into that market. And uh, like Vic said, and I think Matthew said as well, that the FDIC sale of signature is going to start a trickle-down effect uh, within, uh, within next year's uh, market in 2024 for multifamily. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, that's been great and hopefully insightful for those who listen. And if you need, uh, if you want to see our Q3 report, it's on our website. Thank you, Vic. Thank you, Matt.